three, two, one. Hey, y'all. Scott here. Actually, no, I lied. It's Adam. <laughs> hey, it's Adam from your movie, Sex. This is Sardinicast. We talk about movies and stuff. Hey, how's it going? Who else is here? Hey, what's up? Hey, I'm Rafa Moomega. I'm Rafa Moomega. And I'm Alex from HG. And yeah, I like that Scott the Woz reference. Nice yeah, one. Yeah, mm. there we yeah. go. Very obscure. It's a, bit, it's a little hidden gem. <laughs> is it obscure? He's no, kind of popping not. off, isn't he? I know, right? He's got more subs than me. Speaking of obscure things that nobody actually knows exists, the Golden Globes were yesterday. <laughs> oh, yay. Everybody forgot within hours that they exist. Yeah, it was, it was over Zoom. Oh, I didn't watch. <laughs> Did you see any of it? Yeah, none of us watched it. No, I, mean, I forgot it was yesterday, actually. Mm-hmm. It, like Alex just mentioned, it, I was like, oh my God, yeah, the Golden Globes were yesterday. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was doing my uh, Twitch stream because I do my Twitch stream every Sunday. And so like people were reading out some of the winners and stuff. I forget most of them already. But yeah, people ask me like, Adam, are you going to are you going to do a, a live stream reaction to the Golden Globes? And I was like, no, I don't. I don't do reactions to awards show that don't matter. I only do ones that actually matter, like the Oscars and the 420 awards. Like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah, the 420, 420 awards. Yeah. yeah. Did you have any thoughts on the winners? I mean, Nomadland won Best yeah. Mo- Motion Picture. That's the that's yeah. the one I probably have the strongest feelings on because, like, I don't understand the hype of that movie. I really don't. It's fine. I've seen a lot of other movies like it. It didn't do anything particularly amazing. It wasn't like... There wasn't anything mind-blowing about the way it was shot. Like, yeah, I love Frances McDormand, too. But, like, she didn't do anything, like, so out there. It's like, yeah, she played a person that was of lower income than you'd expect. But, like, I don't know. It just it didn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we'll move on from that, I guess. You guys haven't seen it. I'm just, like, really underwhelmed by that Well, movie. yeah, I've heard mixed things about it, too. Chloe Zhao won for Best Director, too. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to give it to her. I would have preferred Fincher. Did, did Frances win for uh, acting? Best actress, no, was Andra Day for the United States versus Billie Holiday. Interesting. Okay. Haven't seen that one, so. Yeah. Me neither. I think the best pictures are like the only ones worth talking about. Yeah. Musical or comedy? Yeah. Like best animated picture was was Soul. Why 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 is it three categories? Drama, musical, or comedy? Yeah. Well, it's like two categories. One of them is musical or comedy in one category. Drama is its own <laughs> yeah, category. Why, why just musical <laughs> or comedy? It's like you're missing yeah, that, so many genres. <laughs> those are like very different things. It's like best horror <laughs> yeah, or animated. Like you might have yeah. I don't know, there's some overlap sometimes. And then you have fucking movies like The Martian winning for mu- music or comedy when it's neither of those things it's like <laughs> yeah what a fucking garbage awards show yeah it's not really a com- like i guess it's kind of a comedy because it has two like funny lines <laughs> in it yeah yeah it's like it makes less sense than the award categories at the 420 awards it's like shakespearean where everything was like a tragedy or a comedy like that's the only two yeah. things your movie could be yeah. it's so stupid yeah There's nothing in between but um bora actually won the best I guess musical, musical or comedy. <laughs> that was a good musical. They did yeah. have a song in it. Yeah, true, they had a couple. true. That uh, Wuhan flu song is actually not nominated for an Oscar, but it's on the short list of things that are eligible to be nominated for for best original song <laughs> of the Oscars. I, I would just love that. But that is funny. Yeah, we don't know. The Oscar nominations will come out eventually. Things that actually matter, but still don't, depending on how philosophical you want to get, but. You know, people actually pay attention and it affects the careers of people, at least. 
Golden Globes doesn't yeah. affect shit. It affects people's egos and nothing else. It's like a drunk <laughs> rehearsal. Yeah, obviously Soul won uh, Best Animated. Yeah. yeah. Who said that? There was, Somebody said that. Was that Ricky Gervais? Somebody said that about <laughs> the Golden Globes, and I can't remember who. Well, it's a drunk rehearsal? Yeah. <laughs> somebody said that. Uh, I think it was a comedian. I don't know. I, th- I feel like everyone says it. Yeah. Yeah, is, isn't that the the only reason people normally care about the Golden Globes? Because of dunk on the them. host's like, bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who hosted it this year. I guess if it was on Zoom. <laughs> yeah, nobody talked about it. That was like the only times the Golden Globes was fun to watch and interesting was with Ricky Gervais. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure we've talked about this before. Yeah. But yeah, he just roasted them the entire time and it was awesome. So yeah, the uh, Nomadland and Borat. Those are the big winners. Yeah, those were the two. But then best animated was Soul. Yeah. That's what we were going to get into. So no Onward, no Wolf Walkers, not even the Croods. You know, I love Nick Cage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess Soul was the best one for, for me. I didn't see Wind Wolf Walkers, I mean. Yeah, Wolf Walkers would be my fave. Out of, between the two yeah. of them, I would sooner watch Wolf Walkers. I mean, I've already seen Wolf Walkers twice, so yeah. They just always give it to Pixar. It's like, come on. It's the default if you haven't seen the movies. And also, even if you have seen the movies, I, I'd imagine most people like Soul better. There's like a, a big push from like fucking Josh Gad and some random YouTubers to try and get Soul nominated <laughs> for Best Picture. They're like, it's time. <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. It's already got its own category. The amount of different Stop voices up. saying that make me feel like it might happen just because it's like, okay, there's enough people... like. The Oscars might reflect the general public on this one, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Soul got a nomination for Best Picture. I'd be a little disappointed, but not surprised. Yeah, but at least it's not like if Onward was winning. that one. Might, if that was winning over something like Wolf because that would genuinely annoy me. Yeah. yeah I, I do like Soul a lot more than the recent films. So. Yeah, I can understand the Soul one. I didn't love the movie, but like, I'm not going to be like, no way, like Green Book, like... I don't understand that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's Best Foreign Film, too, which went to Minari. That went to an American movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they got to make up for Parasite. Now all the foreign language awards are going to American films. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, you got you to balance it back, tip the scales back in the right direction. <laughs> That's kind of fucking awful, though, right? Because now, like, Minari is classified as only a foreign language film and not like it's in in that bubble which a Mm -hmm. devalues it psychologically for many people and b Mm -hmm. then it's like okay now you're kind of obligated to give minari the award and then you're kind of fucking over the non-american films that are in foreign language is there really that big of a difference between watching a film with subtitles and not watching a film with subtitles does it need to be categorized that way like, I understand yeah. if it's like, yeah, you want to hi- have a section that highlights films from another country that aren't heavily marketed in America. Like, I get that, you know, expose people to things they might not have heard of sort of thing. But mm-hmm. like foreign language film for Minari just seems like a weird place to put it. It's like, technically, it's true. It's a foreign. Much of it is in a language that is foreign. There's some English in it, I guess. But whatever. I guess they found a way. Yeah. To to give the foreign language category to American films. <laughs> I always knew you'd do it. 
Because that's what's going to happen in the Oscars, too. Like, we all know that that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Golden Globes are a good sign of what the Oscars are going to do. I don't think music is no- getting nominated for any Oscars, though. <laughs> music? You want to talk about music? Yeah, good segue. <laughs> yeah, great segue. <laughs> I-, I haven't seen this film, but I want to hear you guys talk about it. And it's it, like just listening to like what it's about. I'm like, yeah, this sounds pretty bad. <laughs> But you guys go ahead. Yeah, I'm interested. Go for it, Alex. I made a whole yeah. video on it. I don't know if you saw it. So I'll let you leave. No, I haven't. <laughs> yeah, so if you've heard of music, it will be because it's Sears movie that's caught some flack lately for its um it's being called ableist in its depiction of the titular character of music who is someone with autism and there's drama over the uh, th- th- a lot of choices behind the kind of production and business arrangements and what it basically boils down to is this really incredibly predictable comatose uh vanity project yeah <laughs> coming oh. from sea where it's not even it's hardly even about autism in the end like it's mostly about the main character's sister it's like this really boring yeah. drama about her and dealing drugs and finding this other man and it's more about the other characters drama because they they kind of wrote themselves into a corner really yeah. with what how they decided to frame the movie <laughs> it's not the struggles of being autistic it's the struggles of having to deal with someone who's autistic is what the movie is yeah <laughs> it's oh. like okay mm-hmm. and then she pretends yeah. like this is made like out of love for autistic people it's like oh you can say that but yeah because the, the whole uh, the debate around this movie comes from apparently one of the stories was Sia did originally have an, an autistic actor in the role, but had to let her go over complications with the actor struggling with the intensity of filming on a set. But the way I kind of interpret that is more, well, maybe if you didn't have it pointlessly be a musical and actually made the story like true to like the the concept in some way and actually explored the idea of a, huh. a person with autism yeah. in some way and actually how that affects things in a dramatic or yeah you know reasonable way i could i could be down with that and fine with characters you know having mental illness and we're going to be talking about you know a movie later on that handles the subject in a well it's kind of a, a rule book on how you should do it as opposed to here where mm-hmm. it does just feel really uncomfortable a lot of the time when they are trying to explore anything remotely uh, delicate when it comes to autism apparently they even had to edit in a warning at the beginning because they there's a whole scene dedicated to how you should handle someone with autism reacting two scenes it's like the only arc in the film is like you you should you should restrain and lay on top of them (laughs) until like they stop breathing basically not i mean that's a little exaggerative but that's the criticism though is like you shouldn't do that because people can get asphyxiated right it's like you can literally kill someone (laughs) or seriously harm them by doing what the film tells you to do and when i heard about that when i heard it like oh yeah there's a scene of someone restraining someone with severe autism and people got mad about it i'm like oh okay whatever like maybe you can just remove it like how bad could it be and then i watched the film and it's not just that in a scene it's like the characters in the film are explicitly telling the main character the her sister or whatever to do this and it's like very instructional it's like here's how make her feel safe and like lay on top of her and blah 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 blah. here's what you do and then scenes later it's like now it's your turn he's like teaching her how to do it and it's like 
mm-hmm. wow, holy crap. I, I didn't think it could possibly be that bad. Like, it's so explicit. And for Sia to come out after him, just be like, I didn't know that it was a bad thing to do that. I listened to the wrong people. It's like, yeah. well, that kind of completely contradicts your claim that this is some sort of like passion project of yours. Like, if you didn't do any research and this is a subject that you are pretending to be passionate about, like, this is the biggest core element of your film, really. It's like, it's the only arc. Mm-hmm. Like, so like, how can you not have known that that was a bad... If you, if you ask somebody random on the street, they might not know. You're the one that decided to write and direct this autism movie, right? Like, you're not just some Randy. I think her motivation becomes pretty clear when she shows up in the movie herself, playing yeah. herself with this absolutely bizarre camera. Uh, spoilers, I, I forgot mean. she was Australian until that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, we're spoiling Sia's music, everybody. <laughs> just, just when when you transitioned into the movie, Ralph, just saying the title. I, I mentioned it last episode, but the uh, the title bothers me so much. It's in reference to the titular character. The name the name is music, and I, from memory, I don't think they really explain it too much as to she why, likes but... music. So that's her name. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of all that surface level, but. I was reading that supposedly originally the idea for this movie was that it was supposed to be a kind of standard drama and the whole musical side of it was not going to be a part of it. But then $10 million were added to the budget and Sia was able to kind of combine it with an album release for the, yeah, Yeah. for the the big bucks. So I think that's where this all kind of (laughs) comes crumbling. An entire album's worth of songs. Yeah, and I don't know about you, Yeah, but like, the 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 songs didn't do it for me i don't know if it was just because of (laughs) yeah the framing of it just seeing the way it's implemented in the movie how jarring it is to just jump into these music videos they are just effectively music videos yeah it was weird it was just completely unrelated to the movie it was like time for a musical break yeah like let's go into this alternate universe for a second (laughs) and then we'll come back to the movie we're gonna have a song first yeah yeah i didn't I didn't mind the music. I liked the music. I would have liked it a lot more. It would have resonated with me more and stuck with me more if it was Sia singing the songs. She she sings a song for the end credits. That's the most memorable song in the film. The rest of them, like, she would have had to have composed for their vocal ranges, and they're just not as talented of singers as she is. Like, I love her music. Mm-hmm. I think she's a great singer, a great songwriter. Those songs where she's not singing in them did not resonate with me particularly. But they weren't bad. I didn't mind them. I just thought, like, even compared to, like, other music videos that she's made and had directing credits on, although she was never solely the director on any of these, but, like, the ones that I've seen from her were, like, more entertaining, engaging, impressive, coordinated, more Mm -hmm. thought out than what appeared in this film. I don't know. It's just it, it felt like it relied on this weird kind of like quirky, like, oh, we're going to have children's colored sets and this guy's got big pants. And like it, it just mm-hmm. it didn't have to do with anything, really. Like the no. music wasn't incorporated into the movie. It was very clearly slapped onto the movie and took up half the movie. It was better than the narrative because the narrative was terribly written (laughs) um (laughs) it was just awful but it was like it was a nice break from it but it just the the two were clashing they didn't complement each other in any way yeah tonally it makes no sense yeah because you go from that and then what's supposed to be a dramatic scene with 
we haven't talked about the the side character the the guy from africa i thought that whole uh b plot was very yeah the african-american doing a fake african accent man yeah and i mean spoilers but (laughs) the way aids comes into play i don't even remember how did that happen what somebody got aids this sounds so weird well he he it was it was drama on drama on drama on drama with this movie like with the with that character he not only did it was it revealed that he had AIDS and was secretly buying like AIDS drugs, but at the same time he also had I completely forgot. Yeah, he had oh a brother who <laughs> oh, stole yeah. his wife from him. And then like that's his arc in the movie is he he like <laughs> sings it is he goes to sing at his brother's I guess it's like his uh wedding for his it's so confusing, <laughs> but um <laughs> That's that's hilarious. Yeah, there's like no real point or payoff to it. It, it is just yeah. I feel like I'm always contrasting to Thirteen Reasons Why, but goddamn, it's the same thing yeah. that they did to Justin in the last season. It's like what what is a drama? <laughs> like Sia doesn't know what the fuck she's doing when it comes to writing and directing, but especially writing. Like this is one of the worst written things I've ever seen. <laughs> like it's just it's so <laughs> awful. It's like a caricature of like what an actual movie script should be. It feels like yeah, the worst yeah. example of any kind of like Hallmark lifetime bullshit. But she's like with <laughs> with so much more like vanity, like so much more like self-importance in this project and it's just mm-hmm so embarrassing like i don't fucking believe her when she says that there was another autistic actor that they worked with at first like maybe they had considered casting one or something and started working with them but it's like that must have been like before it was even turned into a musical or something because this project was worked on for a long time like i looked into a lot of stuff on the wiki like not only was it not supposed to be a musical like the main actor was supposed to be a male it was like completed filming and the editing process took four years because supposedly Sia could not yeah. find the right editor. And she's like, none of them could just bring the vision that I wanted. And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> did the last one you find do it? I don't know. Like, you can't blame them now. <laughs> the movie's out. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good sign, is it? Yeah, it's a lot of fucking weird stuff going on. And it's like, what especially makes me feel like either she didn't give a shit about the first actor or them being autistic which i don't even have a strong opinion on like you can play someone who's autistic if you're not you can play a gay character if you're straight i don't care but i think she used that as a defense when she was getting heat for it on twitter and whether or not that happened it's just like kind of weird that she winds up ultimately casting her like her muse sort of like her little uh (laughs) the girl i don't know if i want to say she's (laughs) grooming her but like she was in like all of her music videos (laughs) i don't know their relationship this is speculation there's rumors i have no fucking idea tabloid shit blah 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 but like this is like her her girl that she's like raised it like it if she was michael jackson maddie zelliger's macaulay culkin sort of thing you know like just (laughs) hanging out a bunch <laughs> like it's a lot for an adult and a child yeah either way it's a bad excuse isn't it for um justifying the story it just seems like a classic case of a project like being steamrolled because of who's involved and then they, they have like a completer project at the end and they're like oh god i guess we have to release this now it's been years and <laughs> yeah just, somehow it just got made they got the 50 million together and it's just <laughs> Sia was attached, so they just handed it to her. I wonder if they're going to make their money back. Because, like, Sia's music's good. I mean, like, how much does she make off the 
album, you know? I think I read it's bombing. Like, if the album is a part of the profits, I guess. Yeah, I don't know how the album associated with it is, like, reviewing and tracking and doing mm-hmm. or how related it is to the movie, even. So I, I don't really, haven't listened to the music side as much. Um, so I'm not really sure on that regard. Yeah, it was a fucking train wreck. And uh, Kate Hudson's character was really fucking annoying, really bland, really, like, Everything about her was predictable and just irritating. Terribly fucking written. <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole, like, her working with Autism Speaks thing. I was going to correlate that to, like... Ah, uh, yes. The yeah. way that autism is treated in the film is very much how Autism Speaks as an organization. And especially in that, like, terrible fucking ad they made directed by Alfonso Cuaron, which is just, like, really awful. That's right. Yeah. yeah. It is horrible. It's like... yeah. That's basically the way that they treat autism in the movie, where it's like the main concern isn't even the autistic person, it's the family member of them, where it's like, that's the narrative, is like, damn, it sucks mm-hmm. to have someone in your family who's autistic. It's like, that's the fucking movie, and that's the ad, right? Yeah. So even though Sia's like, well, they just came on like four years after that was finished. I had no idea. Again, it's like, oh, I have no idea about anything that's going on with my own passion project. Like, okay, you thought you could fart this one out. There was a quote from her after she had co-directed the Chandelier music video, her saying like, you know, I tried it out being a co-director and I thought, yeah, I'm pretty good at this. <laughs> and she just decided she was going to make a movie. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. maybe there's more to it than you think. Yeah, that's exactly how it You know, feels. maybe try directing your own short film or music video without a co-director first. See how that goes. But even then, it's like the directing's not the worst part of it. It's the writing, which obviously you didn't write a narrative for Chandelier. Like any of your music videos, like mm-hmm. you can write songs, even though one of the fucking songs in the movie has terrible, awful lyrics. That's just really annoying. That one with this, like, <laughs> we are so insecure. Humans are insecure. We are so in- It's just like that. Oh, on repeat. Yeah. I was like, really? <laughs> like, this is like, I didn't know lyricism could be that bad. It's just fucking awful. But what, what were the musical numbers supposed to be communicating? I don't know. Like a, as, as part of a story or a, like a message. I was so confused during those moments. Is this I supposed don't to just be like a know. celebration of life from the no, I don't... autistic perspective? I'm so, like really confused. It's so weird because like it's almost as if the implication is like the music world is where she's free sort of thing. Like I think that was supposed to be the implication. Like, man, I can't do things good in real life. But when I go into my head, I, there's actually a lot of stuff going on more than you think. I think that that was kind of what it was going for. If that's what she was going for, though, that that's just so condescending. I know. The way it's presented in this movie. It is really weird. It's just a... a the movie wasn't a good idea. <laughs> it, it just wasn't... It wasn't a good plan. Yeah, that's what I mean. It, it, it seems like any normal person who wasn't see her presenting this idea to a studio, you'd be like laughed out of the room. But it is just a who's who's attached who's involved i mean that's probably how she got greenlit was adding the movie i mean it was like 10 mm-hmm. million more dollars like i don't know like the details to all the funding for the movie but like you know that's what the producers wanted they were like okay well no one's gonna fucking see your dumb piece of shit unless you fucking write music for it <laughs> <laughs> like who do you think you are yeah i i did want to give it the benefit of the doubt before i'd seen it you know when the drama like first me too popped up but like, man, <laughs> you give it like a chance and then you watch it and you're like, oh, so just everyone was right, basically. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds really bad. Like, Yeah. Yeah, it's awful, man. Don't watch it. What'd you give it out of 10, Alex? 
Um, I will give it a one, a one star. Nice. For me, it's just, it's just, it's, it's awful, and I wouldn't blame anyone for being offended by it. It's on that kind of level. Nice. I'm giving it a three out of ten. I didn't think the music was too bad. I don't. I didn't think the directing was the worst thing in the world for someone's first feature. The writing was the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it was like worse than I could imagine someone, even for their first feature writing. Yeah, it should have just been a concept album. Just fucking do, you know, My Chemical Romance, yeah. The Black Parade. They made it, managed to tell a story about like someone with cancer, you know? They didn't turn it into like this weird fuck th- fucking thing, you know? If you wanted to make your concept album, you could still be doing the vocals, write some songs. It could be the vaguest fucking lyrics in the world. And then you could just slap on like, this is about autism if you really wanted, <laughs> you know? And then you could have done like, I don't know, similar or equivalent music videos that you would have wanted to direct yourself anyway. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it had to be this whole other thing that's just this gigantic train wreck that like <laughs> will forever tarnish your reputation. But okay. Yeah. Nearly two hours long too. Yeah. It's criminal. Wow. I don't think I'm missing much, but I've seen the Alfonso Caron thing. And if it's I know, like right? that, then I don't, I don't think I've... Yeah, that was really bad. Holy yeah, shit. Pretty, I couldn't uh... even believe you made that. Yeah. Yeah, what yeah. year would that have come out? 2009. Oh. Yeah. His autistic son was born before then. He was just going through a divorce, so I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you feel it in that video. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was brutal. Ralph and I saw a film called oh, yeah. Judas and the Black Messiah. Alex did not get a chance to see it because there are some uh, issues with his country. No HBO. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, I guess it's uh, HBO Max exclusive. Yeah. Golden Globe winner. Or, yeah. Yeah. What did it win for? Daniel Kaluuya. Or is it Daniel Ka- Kaluuya? I, I'm so tempted to say Kaluuya every time. That is a <laughs> coffee liqueur drink. It's Kaluuya. The guy from Get Out. Oh, mm-hmm. he's great. Yeah. Oh, I love him. Yeah. He's he so he good. was very good in the movie. Yeah. He was probably the best part. Mm-hmm. Him and, and Jesse Plemons as well, who's like a government agent. He's getting a lot of roles which is good yeah Mm -hmm. and main roles too like he was in breaking bad like in a minor part i'm like oh i really like this guy he's a really good actor Mm -hmm. Uh, the todd character and now you see him in everything and it's yeah it's really cool i thought lakeith stanfield was great too yeah of course him and and daniel were my two favorites his character was way more like he kept his cards kind of close to his chest you don't really know what's going on with him all the time and that's like it's a thriller about like an undercover Mm-hmm. guy so i did like that part of it yeah where you don't really know a whole lot about him you know enough but yeah there's a lot of mystery to him yeah we're not gonna spoil it because alex hasn't seen it yeah yeah it is sure. based off of a true story which i wasn't super familiar with beforehand mm-hmm. maybe because i'm not american and it's mostly an american political thing so the events that happened in the movie the narrative events were not things i was expecting and it worked pretty well dramatically for me I don't know the most of the history either. I know oh, yeah? the Black Panthers, of course, and like the vague. There's some things I guess I mm-hmm. recognize. There's a huge part of the film that's just about um like the police and like government officials. Like uh, who's a uh, Martin Sheen playing in the movie? Oh, he's playing fucking um uh, J Edgar. J Edgar Hoover. Yeah, <laughs> he looks like a supervillain. Oh yeah, he was good in it too. Yeah, and a lot of the film was focused on that as well. Yeah. And that's stuff I more resonated with. Mm-hmm. I didn't think the film was as good as I think other people or like people think this is the best film. In ever. what way? Uh, as a thriller, I didn't think it was 
it didn't blow me away, mm -hmm. really. I found most of it just like, yeah, I'm going along with it. I like these characters, but I didn't really feel the stakes at all. And by the end, um, like the, the end of this film, I thought was, it kind of just fizzled out. Mm -hmm. Once Daniel Kaluuya was, Kaluuya was gone. I know, right? Uh, and there's like an awful lot of text at the end, like explaining the rest of the history. And I was definitely like left at the end, like, yeah, I really liked the film. It was very well acted, but I, I didn't think it had the emotional resonance it wanted to for, for me anyway. I did get a lot out of it emotionally. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, a lot of a huge reason of why I love the movie is it's not just like a great performance piece with like many of the performances being really great, but it's really, really well technically made. Cinematography yeah. is awesome. It's Sean Bobbitt, cinematographer, same guy that works with Steve McQueen all the time. Yeah, I really like the score. Oh, yeah, the, the score, score was, was awesome. I spent a good amount of my quickie complaining about the score in one song <laughs> because it sounded like a song from Wolf's Rain. And then I come to find out that that one song in the soundtrack was actually licensed from a 1970s jazz musician and they made a song that came out before Wolf's Rain. And then people start sending oh. me all these links about the Wolf's Rain composer Yoko Kano actually being known as like a pretty big plagiarist. And then I see all these other videos of like her ripping off that fucking I want to take you on a roller coaster song from the Matrix. I'm like, holy shit. So I'm going to look into this more. Everybody stay tuned. Wow. But uh, yeah, that's yeah, the score was awesome. Really. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I really like the score. It was just so yeah, there's just one jarring moment where I was like, why am I I'm being reminded of an anime, but it wasn't even the movie's fault. It was fucking Yoko Kano's fault for ripping off the <laughs> yeah. song in the first place. God damn it. <laughs> yeah, really great score. Otherwise, yeah, awesome tones. It was like two different composers, and I don't know if they um, both kind of did their own thing, because it did really feel like there were a couple different tones in the soundtrack throughout the film, and I'm wondering if they just mm -hmm. they both worked on each of them, or if they worked on two different ones exclusively, because they didn't clash too much, but there were kind of like, you know, there was one kind of like distinctly more like jazzy kind of like noir-ish one, mm -hmm. and then one that sounded like a bit more kind of like experimental, like these kind of weird sounds I, I i would have to watch the movie again I, I yeah don't know you know. more like improv jazz yeah I, I don't know uh but i thought the score worked really well there's mm -hmm. like these uh the string instruments that like suddenly like abruptly stop mm. and i thought that added like it made the scene a little more intense for me because it's yeah. like you know this this unexpected score like just messing with your brain a little bit um yeah jesse plemons character the, he's another character you don't learn an awful lot about he's definitely not as bad as like most of like the other i guess like uh hoover or other white characters in the movie but he's like basically just manipulating the, the lead character and so i thought he was pretty interesting like the the shades of gray to him how mm -hmm. like you know he was helping uh the lead character but also you know <laughs> he basically entrapped him in the situation that he can't get out of and it's because that system was so fucked up that you know they were able to take advantage of this guy and it is a pretty fucked up story that, that i didn't know about i i just thought like the whole experience was like really super professional like it's yeah the overall presentation is like indistinguishable from some of the greatest movies really i thought the violence was really well done mm -hmm. i thought that the editing was really well done and yeah like perhaps this i would rate it much higher if you know, it was a even better story, you know. Um, mm -hmm. The issues I had with it were, like, really, really minimal. There was, like, maybe one part that was, like, oh, that felt a little convenient, but it's, like, I don't have any, any real reference to, like, 
what the actual events were or if they really communicated that properly or took a bit of liberty with the script. I I don't really know. But yeah, very satisfying violence and parts mm-hmm. of this film that are like really emotionally brutal. Yeah, there's the shootouts, there's there's not a lot involving the, the main characters though. <laughs> you know? So there wasn't like a lot of uh intensity. I thought those scenes were well done. Mm-hmm. Like you're totally right. All the production design, the way the film is shot, it's really sleek and professional. Super well done. Yeah, it is super well done. I, I don't want to take away from that. I guess it's also just a subject matter, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, racism in the in the institutions and police brutality and all these things that it's been a subject matter that's kind of been explored a lot the past few years. Mm-hmm. And you know, I don't think this film is like the the most revolutionary take on it necessarily like Fruitvale Station we had Mangrove like all these other films and it's just like yeah I've seen this a lot recently and this is really well done and I really like the approach they take into it where it's more of like a crime story and they're all there like there's these morally gray characters Mm -hmm. there's you know these shootouts and I'm like yeah it's very sensational it's very exciting it's good noir yeah um but yeah it's just there were some I just didn't it wasn't a hundred percent for me, mm-hmm. and I some I I might not even know why, but yeah. you know, it just mm-hmm. wasn't hitting me as much as I I would have liked it. I felt like it was unique enough to justify its own existence. Yeah, I didn't yeah. feel like I I was I never got the impression like it was like just like swimming in the sea of like other movies about you know racism and police discrimination, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like I I didn't feel like it was just like indistinguishable from the rest of the pile. I felt like it was. There was enough going for it, for sure, that really made it stick out to me. And Mm -hmm. again, like, it's a performance movie. And not only are all the performances great, but they're very detailed, too. And what I really love about the acting in this movie is, like, Daniel Kayula and (laughs) Lakeith Stanfield. (laughs) Yeah, thank you for saying it right. They're playing characters that are totally not like what I've seen them do before. And that's what I really love. And that's what really makes me respect actors. Like the great performances to me are not people essentially being like, okay, well, how do I cry? It's how would my character cry? There's enough like details and subtleties in their performances where I'm like, oh, you're talking completely differently. Your body language, your posture is like completely different. Like, and, and there's enough of that in this movie that makes me pretty confident that like this is hugely due to the directing as well. Like it's a big collaborative effort it's not just like Mm -hmm. oh you just hired the right people and you know they gave it their all and just independently of the director like this is this is a very well put together project overall just everything works together great i do agree that it could be better narratively but like watching this movie i'm like really just fucking hyped for whatever this director makes next honestly like if this is the quality of material that he's putting out right now like for sure yeah it sounds great yeah, I bet his next thing will be even better, and I'll like it more. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward. Uh, well, Shaka King is the director's yeah, name. Shaka King. Yeah, he's only directed one other film in 2013 called Newlyweds. Yeah, positive to mixed reception. <laughs> Sounds like a romantic comedy. Looks very indie Sundance. 370 ratings on IMDb. Mm-hmm. Other than that, he's directed some shorts and some TV episodes for other things, but. You know, if this is like him when he's got the right resources and the right people to work with, then fuck yeah, I'm down for whatever this guy makes next. Yeah. I don't have much else more to say about it, but... Yeah. Wouldn't... This is something I wouldn't be unhappy with taking home Best Picture. Yeah? I guess I wouldn't be either. Well, I mean, what what would you... 
Tenet. <laughs> yeah, if, if that gets nominated, I'm uh, fucking laughing. <laughs> well, I guess a Tenet works as an action movie. This is something totally different. I like this film a lot. Yeah. I don't have much more to say about it, ultimately. I would much prefer this to win over Nomadland or what? It, what is... Is there another one? If Soul wins, I'm going to throw a fucking fit. Yeah, it does seem better than like most of these kind of award-baity movies. Yeah. It didn't feel award beady at all, by the way. What is, is there another one other than Nomadland that has like a cinch to probably m- win, maybe? The Trial of the Chicago 7, Promising Young Women. Chicago 7? Fuck, I don't even want to watch yeah, that. Yeah, like that one. Looks yeah, so bland. Like the one best screenplay, Aaron Sorkin. Like, yeah, because no he has a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like politics, you know? Exactly. If you, that's why people put their names on media campaigns and on signs. And, you know, that's why sons of presidents keep getting elected. It's because the most familiar name always wins. And a lot of the time, if you're yeah. just a fucking American or sorry, Hollywood foreign press voter or Academy Award voter and you don't wa- bother watching the movies anyway, you're just going to go with the most common name. Yeah. The awards aren't selling the stars. The stars are selling the awards. They just nominate mm-hmm. the same yeah. people every time. Cause, like Aaron Sorkin. Meanwhile, I thought Jack Fincher probably should have won for a uh, mank so you you have hbo max yeah back to this right. i do yeah. yes i do now too I got it. um it's not in canada but i've i've cheated the system and i have some excellent workarounds <laughs> oh okay taste of cherries on hbo max mm-hmm. so that's yeah, why i watched that Criterion as well movies. yeah oh really yeah. lucky is hbo Na- hbo max isn't in the uk alex it's no, only in america it's supposed right to be now. coming yeah oh, um, latter okay. half of this year but i gotta wait until they get yeah. that together first. They're expanding. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, they. it seems like Canada wouldn't be for a while. So I'm using yeah. an American's account and a VPN <laughs> router. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. That's how you do it. <laughs> that works. Yeah. Otherwise, what? You don't want me to give you money? Anyway, what would you give Judas and the <laughs> Black Messiah out of uh, 10? I like this film a lot. Uh didn't blow me away so i'm gonna give it a seven out of ten for now mm-hmm. um upon rewatches i might raise it to an eight mm-hmm. yeah really i can't take away from how technically well executed it is and how good the performances are because really jesse plemons and and lakeith stanfield and daniel kaluuya kaluuya <laughs> i believe kaluuya daniel kaluuya kaluuya Kaluya. Especially him. I could tell he gained like a little bit of weight Kalu- for it. And like I looked up pictures it's of the Kaluuya. real guy. And, like, I'm like, yeah, these people. I think I've been pronouncing it wrong this entire time. Oh, yeah? yeah. K-A-L. <laughs> but, but you weren't right either. We were both wrong. K-A-L-U-U-Y-A. That's amazing. It's almost Kalua, but it's like, yeah, at the end. Oh, that's all I have to remember it. I don't know how I'm going to do this. This is going to fuck me over so bad. <laughs> I'm never going to figure it out. Kaluya. I thought it was Kayula. Daniel. Because I knew it wasn't Kalua. Let's call him Daniel. And I knew there was a Y in there. Danny. Danny, Danny boy. Really <laughs> yeah, I give it an 8 out of 10. I loved it. Mm-hmm. I'll watch it again for sure. Probably be, a, I mean, yeah, it'll be on my best of uh, 2020 list. Is it a 2020 film? I guess it's a 2021 film. Never mind. It's a 2021 yeah, movie. I, I, I would think it counts for this year. It wasn't even released anywhere in 2020. They were going to release it last year, but it got pushed back. Yeah. yeah. And the Oscars decided that they're doing fucking 2021 Oscar movies anyway. So, damn. That's kind of annoying. They should just fucking... I'll complain about that later. I've complained about this before. They should just nominate this. I mean, they <laughs> said they were going to consider 2021 movies, so they should nominate I this. I know, but that was like, they called that so early when it was like, <laughs> I don't know, what was it? Fucking May of last year before like 
Yeah. They're just like, ah, fucking James Bond is getting moved. Let's <laughs> extend the Oscar eligibility. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> yeah, you were you didn't know James anything Bond. that was gonna happen. Fuck. They screwed themselves. Yeah, you're right. Making me angry. I guess it's time to talk about the uh film recommendation. It was my recommendation. Spoilers for Taste of Cherry, directed by Abbas Kiarostami. Mm. I've seen a few of his films. I believe this is Ralph and Alex's first cherry <laughs> being popped by <laughs> From him. Taste yeah. of Cherry. <laughs> I, I would probably say it's my favorite of his that I've seen so far, if not at, you know, close second, but yeah, probably my favorite. It's my highest rated out of the ones. But uh, yeah, I guess I should probably give a synopsis. It's uh, an Iranian man driving around looking for someone to hire to bury his body after he kills himself and the location that he kills himself is a hole that he's already dug under slash next to a cherry tree and uh yeah i i want to know what you guys think of it alex you start loved it (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's it's very simple in its kind of concept but the the thought-provoking nature of it the the what it gets you thinking about and by the end of it well, I suppose we're in spoilers. Um, yeah. What really stood out to me was that ending um, mm-hmm. that really drove home the kind of idea of the movie. Um, it, it it really reminded me a bit of Stalker in the way it's quite slow, really long shots. It's about these characters on their kind of journey, on their mission, and most of the the interest comes from just people talking through their differences, really, because really the hook of the film is that it's... Is is set in in an Islamic country where suicide is a big Mm no-no, even more so than here in the West. So it adds an extra layer of complexity to the situation that this main character is in because the the movie kind of leads you on at first. They they, they almost sell the main character as if he's up to something nefarious. People are scared of what he's proposing, but it's it's simply because the idea is, is such a big... No, no, in society that he he can't really broach the idea and talk about the mental side of it in any way, and it never really goes into the details into why he's motivated to do the thing he wants to, and that's a crucial part of why the movie works. You can kind of project your your feelings onto him and follow through the journey in in ways that would make sense to you and go down the same thought processes that the characters do. We're talking about the kind of contradiction that comes around with the the, the religious laws that, that say, well, if, if killing yourself is a crime or against the rules, and then does that make suicide a crime as well? Are you killing someone? But then mm-hmm. there, there are certain things that bump up against each other with that. I loved all the different characters that he comes across and how it brings out certain aspects of life and the the struggle that the main character is going through. It reminded me a lot of other movies that we've talked about on Solonikos, actually, Under the Skin as well, with that style of kind of mixing the real-life naturalist way of shooting with the mm-hmm. people that almost don't feel like actors kind of communicating. Um, the driving scenes, yeah. Yeah, I've kind of been going on for a while. What did you think, Ralph? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the characterization of, like, the lead, because, you know, he, we don't know much about him. Mm-hmm. But there's all these other characters that you follow. Well, first is a young man, and then like a man who's around the same age of the main character, and then an old man. And I thought they were very well defined. 
and yeah. how the main character reacted off of them, I think showed like a lot of his character as well. Like when the old man's talking, there's a point where the main character just doesn't even say anything. He's just like, just listening. And I took that as like almost a, like giving in to the old man, just like lecturing him or like trying to convince him not to kill himself. I thought the movie was really powerful. And I'm glad you mentioned the ending too, because I thought the ending's really what tied the whole thing together and mm-hmm. made the drama more palatable for me. Because I thought the movie was really dour and really sad for the most part. Mm-hmm especially in that final i guess the final moment of the narrative where he's like lying in the grave it's like oh fuck this is so like what's gonna happen now and then you're kind of taken out of it with something a little i don't know lighter but it makes you realize that you're just watching a film and Mm -hmm. yet the 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 emotions it gets out of you and the things it makes you think about are very real and i think someone who is thinking about these like struggling with depression or any sort of you know issue where they feel insecure with themselves or sad with life. I feel like if they watch this film, they would change their outlook. Hopefully at least a little bit, you know, I feel like it is a film that has a power to like help people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like it. That's why I think it's a good movie. Yeah. It doesn't condescend or oversimplify. No. Heavy, complicated concepts that is, it is wrestling with. And the main character is so set on his mission that, they literally no one can even sway him yeah there's that Like this whole movie he just goes he goes along anyway like they tell him don't do it don't do it and he just keeps driving his car he keeps finding people to you know pick up and say the same thing to and it's like man this guy really must be so lost like so um just defeated with life and that was really sad it was just really sad to watch someone even in that state and again it's a character in a movie but still (laughs) I love the way the film is shot too, especially in the beginning. It's very just, it's in his car. It's like two shots of like him driving Mm -hmm. and then the passenger side. And it's very simple. And yet the backgrounds would change. And I love the locations of this film as well. Mm -hmm. They were very interesting, like the the gravel kind of digging sites. And then when he like meets the old man and it starts getting, I guess the old man gets to him a little bit, gets him to change his perspective a little bit. There's like more life in the background. They like start going into the town. You see more people. And I I thought that was like, I thought every choice like that was very purposeful. Everything felt very purposeful to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Adam, I I could tell you love this film. So I like like to hear what (laughs) you want to say about it a little bit. One of the reasons why this guy is my favorite, well, sorry, one of my favorite directors. He's not suddenly my favorite director. <laughs> He's one of my favorites, and I'm really interested in seeing more of his catalog. But one of the big reasons for that is because he's always constructing his films very much in a way where he does get you as the audience member to think about things. And there, it's not just like a nonsense, like, Ooh, this must mean something. I bet you're confused now. Like, now you have to think. You know, it's something where so much of it is just so intentional and purposeful that, like, on a second watch, you get so much more out of it. The themes and ideas are tied into how the film is presented, the language of cinema, the way that things are communicated, the way that things are shot are all done so in a very purposeful and intentional way. It's very meticulously constructed, is what I should say. And 
when you look at his later uh, works like uh, Certified Copy and Like Someone in Love, those films look like even more beautifully shot. Like the precision of the filmmaking in, in those two movies is just like impeccable. Like Someone in Love is very slow. I wouldn't recommend that one unless you're going through all of his works, but Certified Copy, I, I would recommend for sure. is a really good yeah. movie. I believe I've seen Certified Copy, actually, but it's been a long time. Like, I have to watch it again. There's so much intent and purpose in what he does, and... Yeah, I felt that way. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm glad that I've seen a few other things from his catalog before watching this, because, like, it not only helped me to be more aware of that element of it before getting into it, um, before, you know, being halfway through the movie and being like, wait a minute... It also was a nice, fresh reminder of why I love his films, because I hadn't seen one for a while. Mm. It's been a f- several years, probably. But yeah, wow, it's uh, something I really, really enjoyed. The performances were great, especially the main actor. Lots mm-hmm. of subtlety and you know, very clear intent in the way that his character was reacting to certain things. You know, like so many points in the movie, you can very clearly interpret things about his performance like okay like his mind is somewhere else right now like somebody's trying to convince him Mm -hmm. not to kill himself you can see when he's registering to something that they say and when he's not and you know those ideas are also expressed in more blatant ways in the film like when he literally almost drives off the road (laughs) because he's so focused on other things you know either looking for someone Mm -hmm. or the thought of him killing himself that he's literally veering off the road and other people are trying to help him which if you think about that like that's also kind of like symbolic for what's happening in the film like they want they want him to stay on the road and later in the film they even call life as a as if you're like on a train which is an idea that they kind of get into and i'm thinking of ending things also like it's a philosophical thing but whether Mm -hmm. it's a road or a train like you're on a track or a road somewhere from beginning to end and you know you can veer off at any moment in time you you can try to help someone get back on track. Someone's only going to help themselves mm-hmm. as much as they want help, but it is possible to help someone in that situation, I guess. There's a lot to think about, a lot to chew on. Like that's just scratches the surface. Like when you you when you mentioned that the age of the characters goes from young to his age to old, like that's mm-hmm. I didn't even think about that when I was watching the movie. So on a second time, I'm going to yeah. be thinking about how that plays into what is being communicated in the film you know and how those Mm -hmm. characters are are reacting and you know perhaps he's hinting at the idea of experience and wisdom as being something that mitigates these sorts of suicidal thoughts or tendencies because what what really stuck out to me sorry if i'm rambling a bit but like there's one other like huge idea that i want to get across is the the biggest thing that stuck out to me watching the film in terms of like its symbolic presentation was the idea of perspective and the idea of different circumstances and different contexts altering what otherwise would be the same thing. And that's an idea that they very clearly communicate, especially with the older man in the truck, is like he's pleading with him, like, you just need to change your perspective, you know, like... I was a bit, he he talks about how he was going to kill himself but then a, the gooseberry tasted so delicious that like it lifted mm-hmm. his mood and then he thought about the sunrise and sunset and things that mm-hmm. had already existed in his life 
beforehand, but just the way that he was thinking about those things in his life completely changed his mind as to whether or not he should continue on living. And this is reflected in the actual filmmaking itself. So the entire 20 minute long intro before we even learn what the main character is doing, the intentional choice of, of keeping that hidden and having the entire conversation in car ride and him looking for people, the entire choice of, of that being revealed later is in my interpretation it's to coincide with that exact idea and theme of changed perspectives so you see him looking for people you see the uh, exterior shots of the cars and the conversation blah 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 then you see the same thing happening again later and because of the different context because of the information that you have in your mind there's a completely different emotional experience to what's happening so yeah like if if you don't know that's what he's trying to do, you know, you might think, oh, he's looking for someone to do some odd job, or, you know, he might be looking uh, to com- commit some sort of a crime, but, like, you didn't think he was depressed. Mm-hmm. Each of the three characters that he has in his vehicle, there's this, like, mirrored way of presenting the shots where these same visual ideas get reincorporated every time they get closer towards the cherry tree and away from the construction or away from the town. It goes to the exterior shot where you don't see them anymore, but the audio continues. The conversation continues. And, you know, in in one way, it's it's trying to communicate like, OK, every single one of these conversations has a different context. Even though you're seeing essentially the same imagery, you're going to have a different emotion, emotional experience. But it's also kind of communicating that, like, from a distance, if you take away the audio, like if you if you're not there with those characters from a distance, it's just like a fucking car driving. There is no emotional weight to it. If you were to just like, that could be happening to anybody. You could see a car on the street today. Like that conversation could be taking place. You don't know what's happening to them. Right. So it's Hmm. this, this entire super awesome meta idea of perspective, altered perspectives, changing your philosophy. It works so well in the film it's perfect in how it's presented, especially in the ending, which I'm sure I don't even need to explain. Maybe one of you would like to talk about it, but it's not only perfect for the film and the ideas that it's trying to communicate, but that's exactly what depression is. Depression is like a, a lens, right? And for, for some people, it is a chemical imbalance. For other people, it's completely situational. But what people don't realize is like people who have suicidal thoughts it often feels incredibly justified. And the way the main character justifies it in the movie, saying things like, yeah, I'm hurting those around me, I'm hurting myself. Like, he knows because he's thought about it, but what he doesn't understand is that there's a lens at which he's thought about it. Like, there's shit that I can think about, like, every night before I fall asleep of just, like, terrible fucking things that have happened to me and just, like, awful, you -hmm. know, experiences that I've had. And depending on my mood, depending on, like, how these external forces these chemicals in my brain are treating me at that given moment in time it'll be the difference between like that being like the biggest fucking deal in the world and just keeping me awake all night or me just being like ah whatever it doesn't fucking matter like move on like look towards the future like you're entirely dependent on these chemical reactions in your brain that completely influence the lens at which you view the world so it's just everything about the movie is just like not only super, super perfect for how it's presented, not just in the context of the film, but in the context of like real life. So I just think it's amazing. 
I'm glad you brought up the repetition too of like those car driving scenes. Uh, mm-hmm. We talk about repetition a lot. There's the like every shot you said is the same of the car driving down the road, and then toward the end it's like the same shot, but it's like uh, night. Yeah. So it's kind of like a I don't know dark. Like it gets dark. <laughs> like this is when he's gonna you know do the deed. Yeah, they're completely different context each time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought the film like not that it was funny, but there were some light moments of levity. Like when the kid ran out of the car because he was really freaked out yeah. by like the proposition yeah. he made. Like I thought that was funny. Like that's that's like a totally normal reaction he would have. Like yeah, he's fucking terrified of this guy. Yeah. It made sense and it was funny. I love how it cut back to him to show how far he had ran without stopping. It was like turning around the yeah. fucking mm-hmm. corner of the fucking mountain <laughs> or whatever. Just like holy shit, he he didn't just run away. He like ran forever. Yeah, it was funny. Another thing I really like about this film is that it mostly plays out in real time. It's mostly just, yeah. you know, uh, it doesn't mm. rely on cutting or um, time, huge time mm-hmm. jumps. It just shows you this guy's last day or maybe mm-hmm. last day, maybe not. Well, yeah, you're never given the concrete answer, are you? Yeah, yeah. But um, going back to what Adam was saying a bit earlier, as far as just selling this this idea of depression and really getting across how it is how it weighs on someone for me the um the scene where that kind of side of it came together was when the main character was having the discussion um with someone in one of the car journeys where he's talking about you can empathize you can try your best to understand but you never will actually know what's going on inside my head and that was Mm -hmm. One of my big overall takeaways from the movie, we we mentioned the ending where it does do the like the holy mountain kind of fourth wall break where they're showing a scene being shot from the the filmmaker's perspective at the end. And what I kind of took away from that was it was almost them directly acknowledging the the limitations of how the film itself can only go so far exploring an idea as complicated as this mm-hmm. and not overindulging, not over-explaining, going into the motivations, because there is this infamous uh, Roger Ebert review um, of this movie, (laughs) which I had a quick read of earlier, and I I found it very interesting, because I really did feel the complete inverse of every point. He was saying, saying, well, how are you supposed to connect with the main character where you don't get the motivations? But, yeah, I just don't believe that to be true. I got a lot of character from this, but it's in it's in more subtle ways, like Ralph was saying, through the subtlety and the performance, through the way once you fit once you find out what his plan is and just the dialogue and the way he's kind of teasing out and trying to figure out through his like singular motivation, his one driving factor, and it's the saddest story imaginable around it. And it does highlight a lot of cultural stigma and just the whole mental health side of things and for a movie from 97, I think it's very tastefully done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that um, this is, uh, you know, just my interpretation, because what I was hyper-focused on was like the, you know, different lens repetition element. Uh, and there's a lot yeah. going on in this movie. Like there's many ideas being communicated at once very clearly. Oh, yeah. And so when I was looking at the ending, I was thinking like that's just another way to change a perspective is like, okay, now you're seeing the same events mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through another fucking like layer of reality really like through a, another dimension almost right? like yeah. this is a completely different context but it is the same things that are happening when when you look at events that are taking place you could 
depending on how philosophical you want to get, like you could treat the own events in your own life as though they are a film, you know, I think who was it? Was it uh, Bill Hicks or George Carlin? I forget which one, but they were saying one of their quotes was like, life is like a roller coaster or something like it's, you know, just using that as kind of like a metaphor for life. And Mm -hmm. in many ways it is true. Mm -hmm. Like you can disassociate yourself as much as you want to from things that are happening. And also, I mean, like, it's important to be able to understand that, like, it is possible to see things in a different way that, like, no matter how fucking awful and how logistically justified you are in being miserable, it's always going to feel rational, no matter what your circumstance is, if you are depressed. But for many people, whether it's a chemical imbalance or just situational perspective disorder, a lot of this can just be considered like a trick, like filmmaking. Like a lot of this can be mm-hmm. the the lens that is dictating your mood. You can look mm-hmm. at in that way and just be like, you know what? It's not fucking real. Like, yes, there are real things that have happened to me. Yes, there are like terrible, awful things that I'm always going to remember for my life. But the trick is just how much it should overwhelm and consume you. Like the the amount to which you're letting it or perhaps maybe not letting it but the amount to which it is influencing your life the amount to which it is crippling you i think that there is some level of control over that in terms of like perspective and how you're viewing the world because i want to be careful obviously saying like you know they're people with chemical imbalances that like obviously need to take medication Mm -hmm. for this to happen but yeah perspective can do some work it 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 really uh-huh. can yeah even if you're not like depressed yeah like, even if you're just upset or you know going through grief or anything and i mean that's why a lot of people you, you know doctors medical professionals will say that like one of the one of the ways to combat depression is like proper diet and exercise it's not just because like oh yeah keep your mind off of like all the shitty things that's happened to you in your life but like these are external forces happening that are inflicting your mood, basically, right? If you have proper diet and exercise, and it's not a cure-all, end-all, be-all, or whatever, but it can mm-hmm. help. It really can help. Yeah, gut biome's super complicated. Yeah, like, you, it, yeah. it's fascinating just how not in control of ourselves we are, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, every <laughs> single thought that you think is, like, rational, it's like, yeah, that, and for, if we're talking about the objective facts of something, it's rational, but, like, whether or not it's worth ending your life over is not rational. And that's the trick. That's the the lens that is clouding your fucking world. And you need to take a step back and realize that like, dude, it's just like this fucking movie, you know, like it's, (laughs) there's a director influencing the things that are happening in the film, much like the emotions are influencing things happening in your life. You know, he's telling all these actors what to do. Like you might not be in control. And depending Mm -hmm. on how you want to look at that philosophically, you can decide to like, be miserable about it and be like oh nothing matters or you could be like you know fuck yeah nothing matters you know yeah that's an interesting interpretation of it <laughs> i, I kind of got the same thing from the ending a change of point of view that makes it uh, it doesn't deflate like the drama of the film or the message of it. it it just um i don't know it just made the film a lot less dour it just made it you know i don't want the film to end with just like the main character killing himself and like that's all i was supposed to get out of it I think the ending just kind of 
tied it together. I thought it was an experimental yeah. ending that worked. It was the best way it could have ended. Yeah. It was definitely risky. Yeah, it was risky, but it does work. Yeah, it was very risky. That, that's why I liked it too. I was like, very. It's very jarring yeah. when it cuts to because it's very low quality footage, and mm -hmm. and you see the actor. And he's like, oh, yeah, he's smoking a cigarette. He's fine. Yeah. Do you want a cigarette, Abbas? Yeah, he's fine. He's right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The alternatives to that were like sappy, happy ending, depressing, mm -hmm. kill yourself ending, or cut right. straight to credits without revealing, which would have just felt bullshitty. So this is like the best way it could have. Yeah, true. That is. Yeah. yeah. It's like the only appropriate way to end it. It subverts all the obvious ones. Yeah. yeah. And now you're left to actually think about and contemplate the ideas of the film and like what it's getting at. And I also love mm -hmm. how at the beginning of the film, there's this long section of completely not silent, but like no music opening credits where you just hear like the traffic, you know, he's driving around and it's mm -hmm. like kind of just like this a little depressing tone despite there not being music but just like weirdly real and like obviously the intentional choice of not adding music is an implication of the tone itself yeah. and then the end credits where it's like okay we're seeing credits again but this time it's like fucking happy you know like loud orchestral kind of you know like just a fun almost like poppy rock song mm -hmm. and it's like holy shit like that's another way that the film is communicating these like different lenses of perspectives because you know at the beginning of the film it's like okay that's clearly a less positive emotion but at that point in the film there was no talk of suicide at the end of the film it's like really close to a potential suicide but because of the music that's playing in the credits like that's completely influencing someone's emotions over it to be like the opposite of what you'd expect right so it's all it's a lot to think about it's very philosophical and very purposeful i love it i don't have any criticisms with it <laughs> so yeah, i'm not maybe, sure yeah. there was like one fucking nitpicky thing because when he was like driving really fast and somebody said something along the lines of like oh this fucking got a death wish because he was like driving crazy i don't remember what the line was but then the same guy you can hear him at the window yelling something after but he's like driven so far by that point and he's like so fast where it's like what is he in like in the car next to him and it's just not showing it this doesn't look like two-lane traffic and i was thinking about that i was like this is like such a tiny little fucking nitpicky criticism but then by the end of the movie when it was like the movie itself is admitting it's a movie i'm like okay well i guess that doesn't matter anymore so yeah, <laughs> so because it, yeah. it's a movie in the movie's universe i guess there's some details yeah. so yeah there was there were a lot of like little details that i thought were really cool like there's a scene where the main character's talking behind like a oh glass yeah. window yeah yeah realistic audio and the the sound is actually like from the camera mm -hmm. you it's like muffled through glass i'm like wow it's like an excellent little detail yeah that just adds to the world of the film yeah the sound in general was really good for that kind of stuff yeah. like being interrupted by car honks in the background mm -hmm. and like wild oh, dogs yeah. in the background the, the way that the actors respond to that makes it so clear that it's not just incident dental that it is like an intent yeah. because you know he goes behind the glass and the other actor says like sorry i didn't hear you <laughs> right like they have to repeat themselves yeah. because of like the actual noises in the universe which is just like super fucking realistic i love it yeah he, he feels like very much like a lot of my favorite filmmakers and he is one there's elements of uh, michelle hanukkah in his films for sure mm. not saying he was inspired by hanukkah but like they 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 both have a lot of the same, I guess, ways of presenting films. They have the same discipline in many ways. I think that's the best way to say it. Very intriguing. Yeah. I just love it. Thought-provoking, yeah. 
added a bunch of his movies to my watch oh, list. Awesome. So <laughs> I'll check out more. Oh, yeah. man, there's some weird ones. I think I mentioned this one before, <laughs> but like, I don't know if you guys knew who he was when I said this I or if I said it before in the podcast. There's a movie called Shirin, and it's literally just like a bunch of Iranian and French actresses and just like single shots of each of them. And they're in like a movie theater or whatever, or maybe they're watching a play. It's either a play or a movie. And I couldn't figure out which one because you never see the screen. Um, or you never see the stage. Oh yeah, I remember uh. you saying about this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's just literally shots of them reacting to it, and you can hear the audio from it, and you don't ever see it. And I didn't watch through the whole thing because it was like just that crossed the threshold of like experimental versus entertaining for me. Maybe I'll give it yeah. a chance again someday. But like, he is mm-hmm. such a fucking crazy experimental director. Like he's all—I mean, he's dead now, but he was always doing really out there stuff like really original really unique things his movie um close up which is really great but i would say the story behind it is like kind of more interesting than the movie itself is like he took an event of a real event of someone impersonating someone else and lying to a family and then he took the actual people from real life to play as the characters that they were in real life but in his movie and so there's like (laughs) like just a bajillion layers of like meta shit going on <laughs> Way, yeah. but like without the understanding of that happening then it's like not as purposeful of a movie it's 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 so weird so weird mm-hmm. he's crazy he has another film called 10 which which it's kind of it kind of sounds similar to this it's like 10 strangers go in a car oh yeah with like a person and just have a conversation mm-hmm. i'm like yeah that sounds interesting yeah i'll watch that for sure yeah i haven't seen it there's something called the Coker Trilogy. I don't remember which films are in it, but mm-hmm. Criterion has a box set. That's him? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that. K-O-K-E-R Trilogy. I don't remember which films are in it. I haven't yeah. seen them yet. And yeah, Certified Copy and Like Someone in Love are both Criterion, but would not recommend Like Someone in Love unless you're like a fan of his because it is kind of slow. And then his last movie, 24 Frames, I wouldn't really recommend, period. He died before it was finished. <laughs> and... uh yeah, oh, really. And like, if you looked in the credits for Taste of Cherry, he edited his own movie. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true for all of his movies, but like, yeah, Twenty Four Frames was kind of like, I, like I don't know if it would have been that if he was still alive when it was released or not. You can never tell because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he's had like hits and misses, in my opinion. Just some things are like really out there, and some things are a bit more straightforward. But there's always something like either respectful or intriguing there's always something like that's yeah. there to appreciate what's interesting about this director is uh he's a uh, like one of the biggest iranian filmmakers but the iranian government because he was big enough by the time they realized he was like making thinking movies they never outright like charged him for like making <laughs> thinking people movies or like they, they never mm-hmm. outright banned him they just like made it <laughs> difficult to like screen is they they just like didn't approve screenings of his film so he was more of like an international director yeah. whereas right. another iranian filmmaker who i really love askar farhadi he makes movies that are like a bit more safe for you know like they're great i love him a lot very talented but he doesn't make th- movies that like the point of them is to get you th- to think about like the ethics of suicide and stuff <laughs> you know like he doesn't yeah that that's mm-hmm. not like the point of his movies is to like challenge your perception and the, the your worldview and the way of thinking and i remember uh, Askar fahadi at like a q a at tiff toronto film festival 
I think one of his producers or somebody there said that uh, the Iranian government had like officially declared him, Asghar Farhadi, as Iran's best filmmaker of all time or something. I'm like, good for you. But in my head, I was kind of thinking like, yeah, of course they wouldn't say that about like Kiara Stummy, you know? Like he's been he's been around for longer and more relevant for longer, like for for the Iranian government to suddenly be like, hey, we're we're publicly supporting a filmmaker now. It's like, oh, you could do you could have done that the whole time. But I okay, I'm not surprised, I guess. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, that's strange. Love him. Excited to uh, check out Coker Trilogy. I'm going to actually scroll through some of these notes. I kind of wanted to get into um, Roger Ebert's monstrosity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> I read that too. Yeah. It's so confusing. It wasn't no, it's not it's not one of his best. He mentioned him being a homosexual or something. Yeah, I guess that was his interpretation of the beginning. I don't know if I missed something, but, but I, he's like I didn't so really, insistent about it. I didn't really it. pick up on that. I mean, I, I could be wrong. I yeah. I've only seen the film once. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't want to I think it was it. reading into it a bit too much at the beginning yeah it quickly dispels that yeah he he didn't like the fact that we didn't know a lot about the main character when i thought that was fundamentally why the film worked yeah yeah that's one of the biggest reasons <laughs> so roger ebert gave this film one star i think he hated it and what's weird about this is like i opened the review hoping to get like an understanding of why he didn't like it but left yeah, just more confused <laughs> than I came into it. He asks rhetorical questions that have very obvious answers, pretending as if they don't. And it just leads <laughs> yeah. me to believe, like, he, he starts the review off by saying he talked to other film critics who loved the movie, and he's just flabbergasted for why they did. But I get the impression <laughs> that he clearly didn't have that much of an in-depth conversation with them if he didn't really understand these basic things about the movie, so... One of the quotes from his review that stuck out to me was, what purpose does it serve to suggest at first he may be a homosexual? Not what purpose for the audience, what purpose for body himself? Surely he must be aware his intentions are being misinterpreted. And why was, must we see Kiarostami's camera crew, a tiresome distance in strategy to remind us we are seeing a movie? And it's like, He's asking these questions that, like, A, even if you wanted to interpret that he was, like, a homosexual at the beginning, credits rolled and I already had explanations in my head, really yeah. obvious interpretations for why they didn't reveal the suicide thing at the beginning. And I talked, I rambled about that extensively already. Like, that's a very clear choice mm -hmm. to me. And then the choice at the ending, like, we have had several interpretations, us just talking together right now, about why that would be the case. Mm -hmm. And things that, like, I feel like, really add to the movie and i'm like pretty confident about the ideas that it's getting at right it's not like there's no reason you could possibly do this you know sort of thing and what's really sad about this review is like i think it was like five episodes ago or something there was like a question about like bad film criticism and my answer was like yeah i'm really not a big fan of people that take like 20 paragraphs to say like essentially like two or three <laughs> points that they could have just said in shorter amount of time and that's what this review was <laughs> Where it's like a lot of um, print media critics where it's like, yeah, you have credentials. You went to film school. I get it. But like a lot of them just like pretending as though they're like creating some sort of like poetry with what they're doing. It's like yeah. trying to find like a <laughs> recipe online and you hear someone's fucking life story. It's like, tell me what you liked about the movie and why or what you didn't like about the movie and why. Like, I get it. You want to be better than, like, a fucking stupid meme letterboxed review? I get it. But, you know, you don't have to, like, 
bullshit the entire thing. He said three things. He said it was boring, yeah. he didn't understand two things, and that... What was the third thing? I don't even fucking remember. Oh, yeah. The only other thing I got from it was like... He's like, you can't criticize me for calling it slow, because I saw an eight-hour documentary called Taiga, and I liked that. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Uh, it just reads like he was in a bad mood when he wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it reads like. So strange. Yeah. Do you have anything to add about the fucking Roger Ebert review? Uh, I, I don't think so. I think it was a miscalculation. Yeah. I mean, he's entitled to his opinion. I'm not going to call his opinion wrong. If he doesn't yeah. like it, he doesn't yeah. like it. I think his I think his score is just a little too low. Like even if he had those criticisms, of course that's his opinion. But like really, one star. I'm never going to disagree with someone's score. I'm never going to say that someone's score is too low. If they if no. even if someone like completely misinterprets a movie, like to try and get someone to like like something <laughs> that they don't like, and it's just like an inherent thing, like depression. You know, it's a lens that you're viewing things over. You never know, right? There could be just certain mm, things right. about the movie that he just like found distasteful. It doesn't always have to be rational. It can be like a gut feeling about not liking the movie. I'm never going to change someone's mind on that. Mm -hmm. However, what I will complain about here is that like if a review of a film is supposed to inherently inform others about why you liked the movie and why you disliked it, then this is a fucking awful review because I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. If, if it's to help other people understand how you felt about the movie and why, this is an awful review. If that's the purpose of a review. If the purpose is just a bullshit about nothing for 20 paragraphs, then it's a good review, I guess. Well, yeah, the, the critique of the ending to just propose that it's acknowledging itself, like, that is a valuable statement in and of itself, like, if you just interpreted it, like, charitably. I mean, you don't even have to interpret it charitably. I would say, like, a neutral interpretation is, like... <laughs> yeah, you know, true. Like, to, to just not be as uncharitable as possible is is all you have to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. It just reads like you just, like, you just decided. Yeah. He just didn't... He, he wasn't <laughs> hungry for cherry that day. Yeah. Kiarostami probably, like, released a diss track on him, like, two days before, and he was like, nah, man. <laughs> Yeah, well, other critics responded to Ebert's review, too. Oh, yeah? You know, with a lot of the things we're saying. They were like, yeah, what the fuck are you talking <laughs> about, man? <laughs> really, one? One's that? Yeah, like, I will I will forever defend people's rights to have, like, different opinions on movies. Like, I don't care if you like something or dislike something. From Ebert, especially, this, you know, biggest name in film criticism yeah. of all time, to write a review where it's, like, 20 paragraphs of him talking about nothing... And then saying it was boring. I watched an eight-hour documentary called Taiga. And why did they do this when it has such clear answers? And by the end of it, I don't even understand why he dislikes the movie. It's like, okay, fuck. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. That is the problem. Just yeah, it has no it's just that it's Roger Ebert. Yeah, it's like he just it's like he gave up on the movie. He's like, eh, <laughs> and he's just like, wrote he it hated off. it so much. He didn't want to uh, put his uh, thoughts to words in a concise way. And I guess he didn't see the lasting effect the film would have, because obviously years later, people still watch it, talk about it. Yeah, and this actually tied Palm Door with another movie, a Japanese movie that I've already forgotten mm. the name of, but this is probably more test of time for this film. Yeah, it's just so simple. Like, there's no element of it that... It's would, perfect. I don't even see got dated ever. Yeah. It is perfect. Even, like you said, there's no music. Yeah, it is An element I perfect. didn't even mention... It's only a PG. It's an incredibly yeah. serious subject matter. Doesn't need to show any violence or indulge yeah. in any stupid stuff to get the message mm -hmm. across. And the runtime is only an hour and a half. That's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah, it just suits the story so well. Never stays too long. Mm -hmm. 
Um, unlike Eber, I don't think the film is boring myself, but yeah, great stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First 20 minutes are a little slow, but it's entirely justified in the context of the film. The main actor in this went on to star in films like Zero Dark Thirty and A Most Wanted Man. I guess he played some terrorist characters. That's <laughs> my assumption. I think I remember him in A Most Wanted and Man. And The Kite Runner, I think. Oh, yeah. I just recognized his face and I had to look up the IMDb. So. Yeah, same. I had the same thing. But, oh yeah, like, Kiarostami, like, casts a lot of non-actors. This was the main actor's second film ever, which is crazy. Wow. Oh. And then... Yeah. Another crazy thing about the filmmaking in this movie is like at no point in these shot reverse shot car scenes at no point is the actor actually talking to the other actor. It's literally Kiara Stami in the other seat every single time. And the way it's edited yeah. together, especially wow. with the sound design, I was thinking like like I know two cameras probably wouldn't fit there, but it feels like feels like they're just swapping between A and B camera yeah. just because it flows so incredibly mm-hmm. that it's just like even knowing that he's talking to the director and not like the other character, even knowing that both of those characters are doing that, it's like the illusion still works really well. And perhaps, again, based on other things that I've talked about already, you could argue that there is some sort of like maybe philosophical purpose to the actors talking to Kiarostami and not the other characters in those pivotal scenes, right? Mm-hmm. And how the director is yeah. influencing what they're doing. Yeah, that's that meticulous editing you're talking about here. So great. Yeah, I can't wait to watch this again. Super realistic. Very, very genuine. Love it to pieces. Yeah, not manipulative at all. Even, like I said, the real-time thing. There aren't even real-time jumps in this movie. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, it gives the viewer a lot of credit. It helps the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. Anything that's like trimmed down for the story that they were trying to tell would feel just more like fake. And it's so important that it feels real. If we're good to talk about ratings, I, I would just say uh, fucking 10 out of 10. It's great. It's a classic already for me. It's perfect. Loved it. I'm going to watch more of his films. I'm going to give this one a 9 out of 10 for now. Or 4.5 out of 5 for Letterboxd. For the memers. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there with you, Ralph. Um, possibly could go up on rewatch. But there is, as we've said in the conversation, there is a lot going on in the movie. Yeah. Uh... Yeah, I don't want to put the foot before the horse. Yeah. So so many comments you guys have said I completely missed on my first watch. So yeah, I can't wait to go back. Very dense, perfect uh, implementation on a simple idea. Can't stop mm-hmm. thinking about it. Yeah. Let's do some questions then from the Sardonicus community. Yes. If you want to ask us your own questions, head over to the suggestion thread in the subreddit. Just Two Goods going to start us off the uh, legendary Lego hey. YouTuber. <laughs> What was your first experience with your favorite director? Oh, man. Your first experience. I think Funny Games US was my first uh, Hanukkah experience. I actually remember it was probably in 2007. I was looking at really, really low quality YouTube trailers for horror movies. Just going through those and uh, saw that and it looked interesting. The trailer was like a very clear imitation of like clockwork orange style Mm -hmm. trailer Mm. yeah loved it and then i don't remember if i saw like one or two more from that director but i very quickly before watching all of his films i did like a marathon i like bought every one of his movies that was available on like dvd through like ebay and stuff and i did like a fucking 
20 hour Hanukkah marathon <laughs> and just went through all of his movies, like, but I, not in order, just like I, I, uh, interchanged, you know, old, new, old, new, old, new, just so they, uh, you know, in case his older ones were more boring or something, but yeah. So mm. I guess for me, Kubrick, right. I saw Full Metal Jacket first. Um, it's a pretty easy one to get into for like a casual viewer. Cause it's just like a comedy war film. And you don't really have to see all the buried subtext underneath it to like just enjoy it as like a comedy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. Pretty much from the first ten minutes, um, with the drill sergeant and private pile and all that. Yeah, I love that shit. And I believe after I saw Clockwork Orange, that was my second Kubrick. And then from there, yeah, I just binged all of them. Yeah, for me, um, I have a vivid memory of the first time. Um, I might have actually said it before on this podcast, but. I was like a kid on family holiday in Cornwall somewhere, staying in some Airbnb or whatever. They had a pile of uh, VHSs. They had an Airbnb was, when you were a kid? Well, you know, the equivalent, like a hotel, <laughs> whatever it was. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, they had the yeah, Airbnb well. <laughs> they have VHSs in a pile. Um, yeah, the copy of The Big Lebowski was there. Stuck uh-huh. it in. Um, when you're like a young young kitty that that kind of humor i hadn't really seen something along those lines and mm-hmm. <laughs> i don't know ever since then I, when i revisit it i just discover new things about it and i just love the range of the cohen so much and it's buried into my mind that uh, that experience so that was like your first more adult comedy that you saw um i'd seen adult comedies before but they'd, they'd always been more crass you know that the, the comedy is almost like I don't, I don't know how to describe it really mm. in The Big Lebowski. Well, yeah, Big Lebowski is more like artful. Yeah, it, a lot of the comedy just comes from like the the confusion of it all and just like the, the mess of the plot and how it just puts everyone down this uh-huh. <laughs> like mess of a story. It's, yeah, and just the dialogue and everything. It's just so funny to me. Dank. Good question. Just too good. Silver Monkey 91 has one for us. You often say some movies are too long, but what are some movies that are too short? I don't know if there's such a thing. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I, I was like, when I was collecting the questions, I was trying to think about this and just how rare I find it to be a complaint of mine. Um, I kept thinking about recent films I'd seen even that I'd considered to be fairly short, including like St. Maud. It's only like an hour and 20 minutes long, but that's one of the reasons I liked the movie was because of the brevity of it. It's It's very rarely a complaint for me, mm-hmm. but... I don't know if I had to choose something. Um, there's that animated film Nine. I remember it was really short. Oh yeah, <laughs> Tim Burton thing. It, yeah, it, it definitely felt like a short that had been like stretched out, and there needed to be a bit more sort of development and expansion on the ideas for it to really. Okay, it was a short apparently. Yeah, well, it was a short, and then it was like extended into the the feature mm. or whatever, but. Oh, yeah, it wasn't even Tim Burton that directed it. It was just his name on it again. Hmm. Shane Acker. Yeah, yeah, it just sort of looked like one a little bit. Producers, yeah. Tim Burton. Uh, I, I think I thought of one. Have you guys heard of the film Jonah Hex starring Josh yeah. Brolin and Megan Fox? It was a giant <laughs> yeah, yeah. piece of shit. 
is a DC movie, isn't oh, it? Oh, was that the fucking Neville Dean and Taylor movie that I didn't see? It's 81 minutes, right? But the last five or six minutes of the movie's like credits. So the movie's probably like 70 minutes long. It's it's awful. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. barely feature length. Neville Dean and Taylor wrote it and then somebody directed yeah. it. Yeah. You could tell they cut that one down, though, because the movie was just so awful. They just had to make it like make it as short as possible so people could just get out of the theater soon. Taste of Sherry, Sherry was very short, um, 99 minutes, and that's one of the things I liked about it, too, that it was mm-hmm. very, yeah. uh, you know, very serious subject matter, but it didn't It hold, flew by. Yeah, it didn't hold you there too long. Yeah. Maybe a film like Gene Dealman, I would have liked more if it was a little shorter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I 100% have felt that films were not properly explored before. I don't know if that's necessarily a length thing, though. Because yeah. I very much felt like, okay, well, you essentially ended the movie at where this should have been like the end of the first act, and then you should mm-hmm. have done more with it, but you would have had to like restructure the movie. Like, who knows? Maybe it would be better if it were three times as long. It could just be a really long movie. I don't know. I'm just trying to remember examples of movies I felt that way about, but I've definitely felt that movies way. Movies that don't reach like their fullest potential? Yeah. I feel yeah. that way about Krisha, and I really like the film Krisha. Krisha? Krisha? Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Uh, I wish it had continued past the ending, and we kind of gotten some, I don't know, something else out of yeah, it. Yeah, but so low budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't complain too hard about that one. It's a first film, yeah. Yeah. That was just like a minor complaint of mine, because I was thinking, a lot of people love that movie. I like it. Oh, it's so great, though. It's yeah. like I think that's that's a great filmmaker's movie in the same way that like The Evil Dead is, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like it's like a proof of concept of like doing a lot with a little. Yeah. Mm. And then you see waves or something like that. Oh, I yeah. feel that's a huge improvement. Like that's so fully fleshed out. And by the end of it, I was very satisfied. I feel like Christian needed some kind of epilogue or something, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, that's actually a good example is waves. I did feel like the story ended earlier than I wanted it to. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Really? Okay, so we're like polar opposite. <laughs> no, I love Waves. I love it. But without spoiling it, there's a character's story that essentially we don't see anymore. And I was hoping for a bit more, I guess, exploration or resolution because the new situation that that character finds themselves in, I feel like I would have loved to have seen that tackled in the same film. Where it felt like it felt yeah. like yeah, I know exactly what you two mean. acts of a movie, and I would have loved to have had a third act, even if the movie was like even longer. I felt like that probably I would have loved that. Uh, how long mm-hmm. was Waves? Let's see. It was two hours fifteen minutes. If they if they made a three hour movie and they tackled what was left up to interpretation and gave me some sort of exploration or resolution with that storyline, then I probably would have loved it even more i love the movie but yeah yeah i can see what you're saying yeah so there we go you helped me think of one thank you yeah, you're welcome <laughs> trevor schultz good director yep i uh briefly ran into him at tiff outside of waves he was uh going down an escalator and i was walking down the stairs right next to him and had a conversation and the the concept of walking down the stairs as someone's going down the packed <laughs> elevator and talking to them at the same time was hilariously awkward, but yeah, that's funny. it was worth it. I'm sure if I ran into him again in the future and said, hey, I was that guy that awkwardly talked to you while I was walking down the stairs and you were stuck on the ele- <laughs> escalator going down, yeah. I'm sure he would remember that because <laughs> it was so weird. <laughs> but, 
He seems nice. GGG375 has one for us. I often hear about YouTubers starting big projects only to get discouraged and scrap their videos. Has this ever happened to the three of you? Has there been something you're really passionate about only to lose interest in and not make a video? People think that I've done that, but no. If I change how something ultimately winds up and turn it into something different than I thought it would be, I don't think that that's abandoning it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of projects that take way longer than I want them to. Lion King being a huge one. It's already like over two hours long and I'm just like, Mufasa hasn't died yet. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Synecdoche, that wound up turning into a project where I wanted to explore the more meta ideas of it by having each part you know, by there being a longer gap between each part as they go across. But I'll finish that after The Lion King. Hmm. Yeah, I'm working on, like, a great TV shows video, but that's since changed because, you know, I was doing, like, some Japanese shows like Documental, uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, but then the Sopranos segment was, like, you know, six times longer than fucking the rest of them. Yeah. So I'm like, maybe it should just be a Sopranos video. And then I got caught up with, like, the to boldly flee thing that took off. And then I, you know, I got, I just put that project on side for, um, the Steven Seagal movies and Bruce Willis movies. And that's, that's just what happens. Like I get scheduled so much other shit that, that just gets in the way. And I'm still working on the Sopranos video now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I wanted to rework it a little more because I want it to be a little bit better. Yeah. Nice. But yeah. I don't, I don't abandon anything. I, I just, I work on it until I feel it's, it's actually worth putting out. Yeah. And sometimes other shit just comes up. Like, you know, that, that Tiboldi Fleet took off so much. I'm like, I got to take this opportunity to review yeah. some other piece of shit like Steven Seagal, <laughs> you know, and I'll save Sopranos for later. Oftentimes I'm forced to put something on the side burner for a bit. Yeah. That's just the way and it is. And like, rethink about how I want to approach it without being like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not canceled. It's just like, yeah, I might want to do something different than w- what I had originally intended on doing with it, yeah. but I'm still going to do something. Yeah, I I never scrap anything if it gets far enough to be, like, at least in audio form. I've scrapped, like, plenty of like, concepts or ideas or, like, thought, oh, maybe this would be a good idea to make a video on and then if it's, like, a certain movie or whatever and you watch it and it just... Nothing comes to you, no ideas come to you, and you just don't feel the need to cover it. I kind of do it more like that. Yeah, sometimes it's just not enough to say. Yeah, you do hear about these YouTubers, though, that like they they like get halfway through a video, then they just like stop or just give up or move to the next thing. And I've I've never been able to do that. Like it has to be like beginning to end, full project mm-hmm. complete type thing. But yeah, yeah, there's some things that I f- that I think in my head like I would love to do that. And even say sometimes like, oh, I might make a video on this. And those can, you know, may, might happen someday or might not. But it's like something like a YMS review to the Unfriended sequel. Like, I think that movie's hilarious and I have a lot of things to say about it. And I would love to throw in more jokey edits in the computer screen like I did with the first video. <laughs> it would be a lot of fun. But in terms of prioritizing that versus the other fucking billion things I'm juggling right now, it's like that's that's where the issues start to come in, where it's like, shit, I've put my list videos on the side burner for a while. I haven't even done my fucking 2016 list video. You know, this Lion King thing's been taken forever. I just released an album last year that was done over the course of four years. You know, like I've attended like four different film festivals within the past 365 days. Mm-hmm. Like all these fucking movies that I still need to talk about quickies and shit for. You know, podcast, gaming channel, and then just like regular life sprinkled somewhere in the mix. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah. 
ZTARS22 as one. If you were to recommend a video game instead of a movie, which game would it be and why? For the podcast. For the podcast, yeah. Oh, so it's got to be something like impressive. I don't know if that necessarily has to be the case. Yeah, I would play. I would pick something you guys haven't played. Yeah, even if it's recent. I might like have to factor in things like that are short. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about it more more like digestible ones. Like, like you can finish inside, for example, in three to four hours, and I feel like that Mm -hmm. would be an all right discussion. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to talk about there, or like um, maybe Bioshock, something like that. The original Bioshock yeah. is, is it's like 10 hours long. Okay, Yeah, if you ever want to do that, if I can go for it. I might never do that, but if you two ever want to mm. recommend a game, I'm totally down. Bioshock's a good one, because those stories are actually really good, especially so the Infinite and, and the first one. The trippy, all the different timelines. and <laughs> Yeah, it, it was really cool, that story. I would love to talk about Mass Effect, but it is a big investment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that whole... Mm-hmm that whole trilogy yeah that's cool that's like lord of the rings video games almost. yeah well they're doing the remastered one soon i don't know how long it will take me to go through all three but yeah i'll definitely be playing that but. yeah i mean like there's stuff that all three of us wind up playing anyway like last of us 2 and uh mm-hmm. spider-man ps4 i would recommend uncharted i think the first yeah the f- all four of them i would recommend those i'd recommend a uh, portal and portal 2 Portal. portal I like Puddles. I like those. I think those move. Th- those are probably the funniest games I think I've ever played. Like, just the only reason you want to keep playing it is just to hear the dialogue and the They're jokes, so which well is written. such a testament too, to especially. Yeah. And Wheatley and and Glados are great characters. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were very unique and funny. Totally. Distinct. Life is strange. Mm, life is strange. Um, <laughs> yeah, any don't nod game. I've tried playing basically. that a couple of times, but just just for a meme. Yeah, that looks really bad. I heard Detroit Become Human wasn't bad. I might recommend a David Cage game. <laughs> it's not great. It's probably David Cage's second worst game. I haven't played Omicron. <laughs> it's though. not Beyond Two Souls. Beyond Two Souls was actually pretty bad. But yeah, Beyond Two Souls is his worst game. Yeah. And Detroit's probably his second worst. Heavy Rain's probably his best. I haven't played Omicron. Really? Heavy Rain's his best? Okay. I thought yeah. Detroit was his best. That's what people are saying. But yeah, I've never played a cage game. They just haven't interested me. <laughs> Heavy Rain's fun. I like, I like Heavy, Heavy Rain. Rain's it's fun. Yeah. yeah, it's goofy. It's silly. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. Is that the Jason one? Jason! Jason. Yeah. Like, in terms <laughs> of, like, trying to make, like, a dramatic choose-your-own-adventure sort of thing, in many ways it is successful. In many ways it is stupid and hilarious. But I think it does... Not only the best job at what he's clearly trying to do, but it's also just the most fun in general. Like, yeah, it's super derivative. He's never had an original thought in his head, but <laughs> it still works for the most part. Yeah, the noir kind of tone works for it, like you're investigating. I thought that was cool. Uh, Until Dawn, that's like another good choice game that one where your choices actually also. matter. Yeah, that one's really fun. And that one actually got like a really good cast. Rami Malek's in it, Hayden Panettiere. Yeah. yeah. A bunch right. of girls are in Shameless, like Nicole Bloom. The first four hours are a slog, and then it's fun. Yeah, it's a <laughs> bit of a slog. But I like the ones where your choices actually really affect the story. And Heavy Rain does have that, too. Like, there's points Heavy Rain you fail, and, like, the game just won't... Like, there's a whole storyline that just won't happen or <laughs> will happen yeah. differently. It's cool. I like that stuff. A game over is the failure of the game designer, no. quote David Cage. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. I know. <laughs> I'd recommend maybe multiplayer games. I don't know how you'd talk about that, but definitely a different discussion. You can talk about or it. Or even, uh, I, lo- I love the Hitman games. I think those are really fun. 
I still need to get the, into those. the recent ones. Yeah, and you guys haven't played them. Yeah, I've never played one myself. Uh, I've just watched people play them. Yeah, you can just you know you're not killing you're killing like you know the bad people. You're killing like basically the Illuminati, the game's version of the Illuminati. <laughs> They're like evil businessmen, oil tycoons, or whatever. Well, if you ever want to recommend a fucking game for the podcast, Ralph, yeah. I'm totally down. Yeah, I'd be down. You might consider it one day. See what the uh, sards think in the comments. <laughs> They're sardonites. <laughs> the sardines, yeah. <laughs> the sardines. <laughs> Zag Zome 2 is a fun one. Pick a movie you don't like and try to give a convincing short review on why it's good. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. A bad movie, yes. A movie I don't like. Those are very different things. Because, like, I can just pick a fucking critically acclaimed movie that I don't like and then just rehash what other people say about it and be like, okay, I know what I'm supposed to get out of this, but I didn't, and just <laughs> pretend like I did. I could do that. That's the easiest one I could do. If I read these four lines from this review, try and tell me what, what movie you think it is. Okay. A Beautiful Mess. It is not difficult to see why this film was initially panned. It's messy, bizarre, and borderline incoherent at times, but it's also brilliant. It is, in fact, quite possibly... The apotheosis of postmodern cinema. Southland Tales? Yeah, you got it. God damn it. Got it. Yeah, um, I don't know how to answer that question. That's fine. I mostly just wanted to read that. Gotti. Okay. <laughs> oh, do you have one, Ralph? Sorry. <laughs> Gotti is a great crime film starring john travolta <laughs> where he really got into the role he put on john travolta or he put on john Gotti's clothes and smelled his cologne it was haunting and it brought, it brought a lot of believability the question was for movies you don't like ralph oh <laughs> yeah dude what are Damn you doing it. play the game man <laughs> why do you have that as three adam i like what's fair. the what's the extra <laughs> yeah well what do you mean i'm just kidding because i have it as like a one because i literally think there's nothing about <laughs> I it i didn't think like... it was like the most incompetent thing ever i understand that there's like another layer of like why it's bad i guess like from like a biopic standard perspective and maybe like culturally too i don't know but like yeah it was fucking dumb and slow and poorly made in many ways to, yeah. to suggest that Gotti is a one would to suggest that there are few movies worse than it i didn't think that that was the case <laughs> yeah. i think that there's a a very big spectrum of the quality of films which is why i don't often go for the extremes is because that i i want to leave room for the actuality of other films existing that are far worse than it you know yeah yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be condescending. Gotti was just dumb. Yeah, it was bad, yeah. but and dumb. It wasn't a yeah. one. Mm -hmm. It was a ten. Yeah, I'm just trying to be funny. Okay. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, or did, I did. I did. Alex, did you say one? I don't know how I'm going to answer the question. So if I... you guys, you guys still got to say one. Well, I have one. Um, you'll actually be able to answer, Adam, if you just want to do this oh, one sure. from Bilal is cool one two three. Adam mentioned Kanye West's album Kids See Ghosts last episode, so I wanted to ask you, Sards, what is your thoughts on Kanye West, and what is your favorite album by him? Hmm. He's crazy and stupid, absolute <laughs> narcissist, ego the size of yeah. the fucking yeah. universe. He uh -huh. wrote a song about gold diggers and then married Kim Kardashian, and now they're divorced. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? Kids See Ghosts was great. That was also an album that was not just by him. It was him and Kid Cudi. 
So that might be why that one's my favorite. About uh, depression, too. You know what? Actually, I kind of liked College Dropout when I was younger, but I don't know if I ever listened to the full thing. I liked songs from it. I liked the workout plan and stuff. If that was on that album, I don't know. Maybe I'm fucking crazy. Really? You like the workout plan? I did. I like the workout plan. Jesus Walks is pretty good. Yeah. And like stuff he was doing like as a producer and collaborator was cool around the time. I'm like a I'm pretty it's really easy to get me to like like a hip hop R&B song from that generation. Fucking slow jams was like his laziest verse of all time where he's like, I'm going to bring some cool whip. Then I want you to strip. She got a light skin friend. Look like Michael Jackson. Got a dark skin friend. Looks like Michael Jackson. Laziest verse of all time. The rest of the song is good and it's catchy. Twister, slow jams. Look it up. Yeah, because I, I like that album a lot. It's just that one song is the one that doesn't do it for me. I think it's purely a uh, just a lyrical thing. And Kanye's whole, you know, Jesus is king and like he's like filtered himself down now and he's like doesn't have the sense of humor that the, yeah. that earlier stuff had. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. like, Jesus is king, also I'm Jesus. <laughs> it could also just be pure nostalgia because like I... Before listening to that Twisted Slow Jam song in the past five years, I couldn't think of a single thing bad about that song, and it was only because I listened to it as an adult that I realized just how fucking awful Kanye's verse is on it and how lazy it is. (laughs) So I could be completely wrong about the workout plan, but, you know, I've got the melody in my head. It's catchy. It's, you know, I, I don't remember it poorly, but there's a good chance that I could listen to it again today and think the same thing as you about it. You know, it could just be complete nostalgia goggles. Yeah, because uh, I was never, I kind of wrote off Kanye for a long time and it was only in the last like three years so I've even bothered going in. So I, I have no nostalgia and my favorite one probably is Life of Pablo, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Wow. I think it just summarizes him quite well. Um it's super eclectic and yeah. all over the place. And... I've never considered him to be like a fucking genius like a lot of people do. I think he's a good producer. He makes interesting sounds and obviously knows music. Mm-hmm. And he's a memer, yeah. Yeah. You ever heard... Uh, which which album is Poop de Scoop on? Oh, that was a, like a, like a single thing that you put out, <laughs> didn't it? I don't think it was Whoop on an poop album. Scoop. Yeah, that, that was bad. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's like so much of what he does on these albums that like everybody gets offended if you don't don't give ten out of ten to. So much of what he does just feels like, yeah, this is different. Does that mean it's genius though? Like, th- th- that's that's kind of how I feel about the majority of his work, especially more recent stuff. Is like, yeah, this is different, <laughs> but I, I I don't see where I'm supposed to interpret like that. I'm that I have to like this from it. You know, like yes, he's a narcissist. It shows in his music and everything. And his personality, like, at least he's true to himself, makes interesting sense. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, yeah. it's the self-awareness and uh, wordplay that I enjoyed about him until yeah. recently. That's what really, he, he released, like, a single fairly recently called, like, is it Nah Nah? It was around Halloween of last mm-hmm. year he released it, and it was pretty, pretty terrible, that one. Nice. I like Life of Pablo, too. I think that's a really good album. I'd say my favorite's probably 808s and Heartbreak. Is that mm-hmm. how you say it? 808s? <laughs> yeah. But that's that's oh, really? probably my favorite one. That's the one I haven't properly listened to. Yeah. They recorded it really quick. Like I think it was just like four weeks or something, three weeks. Yeah. There's nothing about Kanye that makes me want to listen to a full album from him. So Kid Sea Ghost <laughs> is an exception, and also it's like a half album, really. Yeah, it's really short. Yeah. It's like not that many. It's not that long. 
yeah, from from that generation of nostalgia, I've been uh, recently over the past year or so listening to a lot of uh, Outcast. Speaker Box Love Below album was fucking awesome, and that wound up making its way as my number one most listened to song of 2020 was "Roses" by Outcast, and most listened to oh, artist nice. according to Spotify. Spotify anyway, so. If anybody's listening, Outcast, Speakerbox, The Love Below, great album. Go listen to it. Gavin has one. Um, I think only <laughs> oh. uh, myself and Ralph can answer this one. Sure. Division. <laughs> do any of you watch it? If so, what do you think of it so far? If not, will any of you watch oh. it? Never. <laughs> I've seen all of it apart from one, I think. The latest one I haven't seen. I'm going to watch it right after this. Okay, what do you, what, what do you think? Uh, well, I'm a Marvel fan, I guess I say, well, like, I like these movies, and yeah, I thought yeah. it was really good. I really liked mm-hmm. the approach they took to it. Um, it's in the MCU, but it's a TV show, so the format is slightly different, and I, I really like how they chose to tell a story. It looks really cool, like, the effects, and, um, like, I, I, if you know anything about the show, I guess, from, like, a synopsis, it's, like, it's kind of like a 50 sitcom, or at least it starts out that way. And there's even, like, uh, attention paid to making everything seem, like, a little more practical. Like, there's a scene where Wanda's, like, making dishes float and, like, cooking dinner. Mm-hmm. And it looks like things on, like, wires. Like, you know, it looks like how they would do the effect back then. But it was probably CGI. Yeah. Um, there's, like, a lot of details in it that it's a really high production value show. Especially, mm-hmm. like, compared to anything else you'd see. It did remind me of Game of Thrones in that way. And I think Disney Plus could really make some great high quality content on that platform if they keep it up like this and i thought elizabeth olsen's really good and so paul bettany too i thought the two of them are great yeah because i was concerned because um i guess this is their first like disney plus original show because they've mm-hmm. released these dis these mandalorian oh mandalorian sorry for um for the mcu like stuff because they, they've released oh. mcu shows before like agents of shield and like peggy carter or whatever but mm. those are like I don't know. They they did not do it for me in any way, so I dropped them really quick. But yeah, with the, with the the like sitcom gimmick, as you're saying, Ralph, where like each episode is like a different decade of sitcom kind of yeah. parodied. Um, yeah, it's got like a mystery angle that's actually fun, and it's not like a big investment either. Each episode is like twenty to thirty minutes too, so mm-hmm. it's very light. I wasn't I wasn't planning on watching it until I saw like everyone was talking about some certain spoiler in it, which I found kind of fun and yeah, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised by it to be honest. My only thing is I just wish the 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 main two characters were actually kind of established and explored a bit more in the in the greater content because I don't really feel like Wonder and Vision had that much in the movies proper like they're given way more in the show than anything they've really been given in yes the standalone movies so. and even in the show itself there are a lot of other characters that start to come in and kind of mm-hmm. distract from the most interesting part of the show which is wanda and vision just kind of living in full house or living in like any era sitcom you yeah. can think of. like it's it's very fun idea well yeah without spoiling anything they do bring a character from the mcu in was, um, which yeah. I was like really concerned about at first, but I thought they were fine. It's not done yet, so I'd like to see how it ends. I might lower it slightly mm-hmm. to like a three and a half, but as as of right now, I'd give it four stars. 
just because of how like it's just so out there you know i like i can't mm-hmm. believe they're even making something this fucking weird but god bless them is it only <laughs> out there because it's related to marvel though yeah that's what of course that's why um it's basically like uh, <laughs> uh don't hug me i'm scared or uh this house has people in it or too many cooks it does kind of have that horror but it's also a very friendly veneer kind of idea yeah something's up so it has been done there's are yes you're right these these things happen it's before. only crazy because it's marvel it's like if, yeah, if, if exactly. you were to only watch marvel shit this would be the craziest thing you'd ever seen in your entire life but they actually fit this into the universe and making it sense i'm just like i don't like the idea of the only way you can get people to actually watch something that's a little weird is to stick fucking pre-existing superhero characters in them that kind of fucking bugs me, honestly. I'm like, I'm like morally opposed to this show. <laughs> okay. I'm just, it's just like a reflection of the way that f- things are going and have been going, you know? It's like, yeah. it's a greater issue that I, I guess I'm more upset about where it's like, well, let's, uh, if you want people to watch fucking art, you got to stick a superhero in it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nobody would watch this shit otherwise. And it's like proof of that. Fuck. Oh, yeah. It's been this way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Damn. I think the uh the one division like uh original story has has its fans, you know. There's some weird comic st- stuff out there. It's just Yeah. The the way it's yeah. like split up in the show is um the the more creative stuff is in all the kind of fake wonder reality um and like all the stuff that's set in the proper MCU stuff is shot like a normal MCU looking movie. So I think that's how they Yeah. are able to put the more creative stuff in there. Mm-hmm. switching letterbox like you know mm-hmm. sometimes it's four yeah. by three sometimes it isn't yeah very again for marvel it's out there <laughs> yeah <laughs> if you got a big successful brand like there's no way you're not going to keep pumping movies <laughs> out yeah. and content out so i appreciate that marvel makes they've been keeping this up for so long and the universe is relatively consistent and the quality is relatively consistent like the fact they made this show actually work like in the context of Marvel, in a way that I was like, "Oh, yeah. okay, yeah, I can buy that." Bringing in side characters, that... like I was actually like, "Holy shit, this is pretty impressive." Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was like watching it with my dad, and they mentioned like they mentioned something from Black Panther, like the material they have, uh, like with the stuff the Wakandans use. Mm-hmm. It's not animantium. Uh, vibranium. I vibranium. Think. Yeah, and my dad's like, "Oh yeah, it's vibranium. I remember that." It just shows me, like, how well they've established this universe that, like, all mm-hmm. of these little things that have, I, that we've picked up on are, like, always reincorporated, always mm-hmm. coming back. And you look at, that, like, what DC's doing. They literally can't <laughs> even make one film that makes sense, like, at all. They've got, like, three different Jokers. <laughs> yeah. They got three different Jokers. They, they're making a Snyder Cut now that's four hours long. <laughs> it's I, like, you know, they, they, the movie's out already. Coming out soon. Yeah. I just I appreciate how well Marvel pulled it together. WandaVision's like a mini series. If they fucking ended at episode ten and promised to never make more, then I might start checking it out. Yeah. Who knows? But if it just keeps going on, I'm just gonna keep patiently waiting like I did with Game of Thrones yeah. and then theoretically mm-hmm. just never feel guilty about not starting. Yeah, because then it gets bad. Yeah. <laughs> I am worried about that, that the quality of the show will go down. And I've even noticed the first few episodes are slightly stronger than the rest of it. I guess because they already got right. people hooked. Yeah. I hope it is just a mini series because I've noticed a lot recently that they just, it's a mini series until it's successful and then they make a bunch of seasons after and just mm-hmm. make it all up. You know, like Big Little Lies. It's like a, a 10 episode pilot. Yeah. They're going to do with Queen's Gambit. I, I'm not opposed to these shows. It's just if you want to make a show, make a show. Don't like try to trick 
people <laughs> like or i don't know yeah like the second season of big little lies is so just like thrown together like it's not based on anything it's not the same director mm-hmm. it's just like a bunch of shit like whatever just keep it going well i mean the story seems fairly high stakes so i don't even know how they can even do a season two to be honest based on what i've seen but yeah and wanda's in doctor strange like she'll be in that so she'll be off doing some other thing yeah uh, not yeah. connected to the show doctor strange 2 aka spider-man 4 <laughs> yes yeah i don't know as far as like pulpy serial stuff is concerned uh, i think they're doing a pretty good job yeah i think it's really fun it's it's not quite like taste of cherry i wouldn't <laughs> it didn't change my life it didn't change my life what? but for what it is i think it's super well done and entertaining yeah like families yeah. are gonna fucking love it yeah i might check out a bit of it at some point i'm just not gonna rush to see it i just thought elizabeth olsen was really good just like funny i like her yeah i do too she wears a lot of like clothes that like show off her legs i'm like oh that's that's great little touch oh is that what you like about her (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah lots of like nice outfits she's got on all right (laughs) (laughs) okay let's end on this one from a movie guy 2004 any thoughts on the new pixar movie luca that dropped the teaser recently oh is it like italian now can you say Guada, <laughs> is that what they're doing? Again? <laughs> Luca, have you not what? seen this trailer then? I have not, no. I've seen stills from the trailer. I think I've seen maybe a clip on Twitter. Like the animation looks distinct, which is good. Yeah, the uh, art direction's really yeah. Yeah, stylized. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'll, I haven't really seen the trailer for it, but... No, wait, I've seen bits of the trailer. Yeah, they fucking like TF into fucking stupid fishmen. Yeah, I had a bit of a soul original trailer reaction where I, I like, yeah. love the idea of this like little Italian village like story. Yeah. Then it has to have the like fantasy element, but it depends what they do with it, I guess. I'm willing to check it out just based on how the character design looks distinct from other Pixar movies mm-hmm. alone. I'm willing to check it out just for that reason. I was happy to see that. Yeah, I like them doing something a bit visually different because I've had so much annoyance with just how pixar movies just look the same all the time mm-hmm. i like that this is kind of like almost looking like uh i don't know it kind of reminds me of like popeye or something like character yeah 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 interesting like very looking. exaggerated features i think it looks yeah it looks pretty cool i'm just watching like the trailer on my phone yeah i do prefer the human designs over the like fish things though personally but we'll see what they do yeah oh, i haven't seen what these those. things look oh, like yeah yeah that does look kind of dumb doesn't it <laughs> yeah because they like nail it with the the human characters who the fuck knows what this movie is going to be like it's probably not going to be amazing i hope it's good but it's probably <laughs> going to win an oscar actually maybe it might be like onward you never know it'll just get nominated instead no real thoughts on the trailer just character design looks more distinct that's about it we'll see what it's like all right i guess that about does it for question time and I think we have a recommendation from Mr. Seppi. From me? Yes. Oh. Uh, let me pull up the list here. Let's hear it. All right. So are we in the mood for a trilogy? I'm just going to ask that right off the bat. Depends how long it is, I guess. Uh, Sure. <laughs> sure? Let's fucking do it. Okay. So I'm going to recommend a trilogy that starts in 1981, directed by Steven Spielberg. They're called Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so I guess the trilogy is the Indiana Jones trilogy. So we'll be talking about that. Okay. 
Did you say it's a trilogy? That's not a trilogy, Ralph. What are you talking about? Yeah, we don't have to watch Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We don't have to watch that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. If you want to, go ahead. I'll watch it. Okay. It's, I don't count it. Indiana Joneses. <laughs> Indiana Jones. By Mr. Spielberg. Awesome. Okay, awesome. So if you don't want to be spoiled for the three good Jones movies, supposedly, <laughs> watch them before the next episode comes out. These episodes come out every two weeks. You can support the show and get these episodes early by going to sardonicast.com and signing up for premium or patreon.com slash sardonicast. $2 a month. You'll get these episodes early. Also, we got merch. Also, I want some more fan art. Draw some more fan art. Yeah. You can either post it on the subreddit or post it on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, use the hashtag Sardonicast fan art, and then I'll see it eventually. If you want me to see it sooner, then probably post it on the subreddit. Reddit.com slash R slash Sardonicast. Mm-hmm. Post it there, and uh, it might make it into the YouTube upload at the beginning. Don't draw anything that would get us demonetized or else I might not pick it. <laughs> There's some that are like a little explicit. I'm like, well, I like the art, but... It's oh. a bit too far, yeah. Yeah, can't put that <laughs> in, the, in the first three seconds of the video. <laughs> I, I wasn't aware of these. Oh, I was like, yeah, no, no, just some of them are a little too much. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for listening. Catch you later, y'all. Bye. Take care, everyone. Bye, bye, bye. Take bye. care.